to Let's Party with Marty, the podcast where we take you through the pictures directed by Martin Scorsese and the companion films from his letterbox list. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm Sarah Buddery, and welcome to episode one. <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> we, uh, we recorded our episode zero, which hopefully gave you guys a little introduction to who we are, so we're not going to spend too long on that. Uh, but if this is the first episode that you're listening to, first, welcome. Hi. Uh, there's some hors d'oeuvres, some canapes at this uh, Marty party. <laughs> Maybe some champagne. I don't know. Whatever you want to bring to it. Uh, you're sure, welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so what we are going to be covering on this podcast, um, just because I've had a few messages and a few tweets about it, and people are a bit confused about what we're going to be covering in each episode each episode of this podcast will be about a film. So each film on our list is having its own episode. Uh, we are going through, uh, as MJ said, the companion films from Martin Scorsese's letterbox list. Um, you can find that on the internet if you haven't looked at it. Um, and then we will be watching the corresponding Scorsese film that he has paired with it. The order we'll be doing it will be the companion film first and then the Scorsese film so this being our first episode we'll be talking about shadows and then the next episode will be uh who's that knocking at my door so Scorsese has paired these two films together um and we'll hear a little bit more in a minute about why he has paired those two together but yeah I think does that that, that about covers everything in a yeah. few minutes yep. <laughs> <clears throat> more detail on episode zero if you want to kind of hear more about our uh, yeah podcast credentials uh marty yes. credentials what we bring to bring to this party um but i think we can get straight into talking about this week's film because uh what a doozy what a what a great film to start <laughs> to start with can yeah. i just say off the bat um and a lot to talk about this film if if you're a, a marty nerd like we are he talks about this film a lot oh uh I am currently reading slash listening to three different Scorsese books and each one of those I've put a little bookmark in at the bit where he talks about shadows. So he, this is a film that clearly means a great deal to him and he has spoken about a lot. So seems like a really, really great place to start and obviously is the film that he has paired with his feature debut. Um, so Shadows uh, released in... Things get a little sketchy here. We'll get into it later. Some people say 1958. Some people say 1959. Some people say 1957. Um, uh -huh. But there is a sort of very roundabout reason why that is the case. Um, this film focuses on uh, a woman called Le Lelia. 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 Um, I thought it was just Layla. Lelia. L-E-I-L-A. L-E-L-I-A. Not Layla. You're right. Okay. I was looking at it incorrectly. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, um, this film is about uh, a woman called Lelia, uh, who is a young African-American girl um, with a light complexion. She meets Tony, who is uh, a musician. Um, they begin a romance, uh, sort of ill-fated romance. Uh, he is surprised to then meet her older brother, Hugh, um, who is much darker skinned than she is, and that is when he kind of realises her heritage. Um, Hugh is an unsuccessful singer um, and he and Lelia live with their other sibling Ben who is kind of a trumpet player but I don't think we ever see him play the trumpet in this film he's usually just cruising around getting into getting into trouble um, but yeah focus is on these kind of three siblings uh, and mm -hmm. different relationships P plays pretty fast and loose with the story but yeah more more on that um directed by uh john cassavetes and it stars uh ben carruthers lelia goldoni hugh hurd and anthony ray amongst others uh as mentioned this is the companion film for who's that knocking at my door and uh these are marty's notes from letterbox just as we get started so he says uh shadows was the movie that told me no more excuses get started now make your own movies the bohemian world of the picture was far from my own life but cassavetti's film didn't want to be imitated it wanted to inspire you to make your own pictures from your own lived experience it demolished the idea that movie making had to be expensive and monolithic and technically perfect if you had something to say and you said it by any means necessary that was the most important thing shadows was made 100 percent independently once i saw it i was ready to go and with that we are ready to go so mj i'll pass over to you first uh thoughts on shadows. i fucking loved this movie <laughs> so much i thought it was so good um yeah. <laughs> it uh it, yeah, I mean, it's just it, the older I get, the more I love movies where nothing happens. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> it, it, man, it's just it's just vibes like that's the whole movie. And I could totally see how in 1959, especially or 58, whenever you see it. You know, that early on into, right, so it's, at that point, the art form has only been around for 50 years. And mm -hmm. so it's you're almost 60, I guess. But mainstream, it's only, like, yeah, 40 or 50 years old, right? Like, with, with big distribution and stuff. I could totally see this being, one, extremely counterculture. Um, mm -hmm. Because this is made so far outside of the studio system. It's made so far outside of any sensibility that big Hollywood productions are like um, presenting at the time. It is, you know, it is about race. It, there's like very like plain spoken talks about sex at certain points of it. Like mm -hmm. I could not imagine being like, I can totally see this being the movie that like, you know, I've talked about it on our other shows that, that like punch drunk love for me that like opened up my brain and scooped it out and was like, this is what movies can be like mm -hmm. the idea that you can make a movie like this, I think would blow someone's mind in 1959. And it is, I think it still holds up. Like it is because of how sort of loose the film is. Mm -hmm. It just feels so universal and like, out of time despite the fact that it explores like a very specific moment in new york culture like it yeah. still feels like 
just it's just people hanging out like that's all it is <laughs> and it's it's great and i was looking at um cassavetti's the directing style on wikipedia his filmmaking style it says cassavetti's films aim to capture small feelings often often repressed by hollywood filmmaking emphasizing intimate character examination and relationships rather than plot backstory or stylization and he often presents difficult characters whose behaviors were not easily understood rejecting simplistic psychological or narrative explanations for their actions and Mm -hmm. That I mean, out the gate. So this is his first feature-length film, right? Yeah. And all of that is in this movie. Every last bit of that is is in this mm-hmm. movie, and it's great. Like it just it, mm-hmm. these characters just feel so real and human. Like it's mm-hmm. I really really like watching these people just exist for an hour and a half. Like I honestly thought it was too short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's little over hour and 20 mm-hmm. um not long at all and when it was over because it doesn't sort of really tie up all of the the loose ends in the film i mean hardly any of them actually it's just mm-hmm. the closing shot is similar to the opening shot it's just yeah. this guy just kind of mooching about on the on the streets of of new york and it's just like the cycle goes on kind of thing mm-hmm. like they i would say Lelia has learnt some lessons along the way, uh, perhaps more than any of the other characters in terms of sort of like the three different relationships that she has in this film. We sort of see a change in her and in her demeanour, which I think is is very, very interesting mm-hmm. um, and sort of ties into this idea of sexual liberation that is in this film. And I was so shocked to see that this film when it was made whether it was 57 59 or whatever just very briefly on that it's a it's a bit hazy but Casavetti's made or like shot this film in in 1957 and then I think due to a poor reception mm-hmm. he then basically redid the film to an extent I think some of the original stuff remains in this or at least some of the ideas um which is why you will see it quoted as anything I've seen anything from 1957 to 1960 as the release date for this oh, film. Weird. So pick <clears> a date <laughs> in that. But regardless of whether it was 57 or 60, there are things in this film that feel so ahead of their time and so much makes sense about Scorsese's kind of sensibilities like how he how this was the film that like just made him want to get up and go because I was watching it and I was just like I can not only see how this film would inspire someone who was kind of thinking about going into a career in film but you can track the lines from this film to so many other films I mean we're gonna see that very clearly in a lot of Scorsese's early films I think particularly Who's That Knocking At My Door and Mean Streets man um (laughs) but going even further we were having this conversation briefly before we started recording which is really funny because you just listed a load of films that I had written in my notes where you can see that line being drawn from this to that I mentioned to you American Graffiti just kind of this 
that's very like countercultural as well just these kind of kids like hanging out there's a lot of music it's very like freewheeling easy sort of youthful energy to it which shadows definitely has as well and from there then you get i would say the majority of richard linkletter's films yeah. uh Slacker. that kind of people just hanging out before <clears throat> sunrise everybody wants some dazed and confused like this just slacker which slacker yeah. is the film that inspired kevin smith to go make clerks and so, like, it's very, very weird that you can draw a straight line from <laughs> shadows to clerks. And, like, if you think about it, we like, they're it. clearly <laughs> much different films, but they do have the same sort of spirit behind them. Mm. Right? Because if you, I don't know how much you looked up about the making of shadows, um, but it was born just out of, like, an acting exercise that Cassavetes was doing with his acting students, uh, the majority of whom are the stars of this film, which, like, in 1959, Cassavetes, as a white man, like, taking on black acting students, right? Very, very counterculture as well. And this, you know, this predates the counterculture as we know it in at least American history, which is the 60s, the mid-60s, through the end of that decade right this is a full five six years before something like easy rider right blows open the, like people people can point to easy rider as like the quintessential counterculture like sort of like knocked down the gates piece of yeah. cinema but i think shadows absolutely needs to be talked about significantly more than it is uh mm -hmm. in regards to kicking that off because a, a film centered on black characters uh in 1959 that like caught with people you know like i i don't know that seems pretty pretty out there for the time to me <laughs> mm. yeah it's i had not even thought about clerks because why would you think about that in the same conversation as <laughs> right. as this but i it makes a lot of sense now mm -hmm. now i think about it and what i vibed with so much in this film is just that i don't know if i've ever seen a, a better film that sort of epitomizes that like diy cinema yeah like <clears throat> just go out and make a movie like yeah. and that's what Marty says in his right? notes yeah you just like i mean i was reading some of the stuff about like <laughs> how they make this how they made this and i think the budget was something like forty thousand dollars which yeah. is like in whatever year not a lot of money <laughs> yeah even even then this. not a lot of money yeah yeah and also just how like on the fly it was made so i was reading an interview with uh seymour cassell who is uh the associate producer of um shadows and uh this was an interview he did with a publication called stop smiling and he said we had no permits there was a friend who drove a cab at night and mm -hmm. he'd lay back 30 feet from us if he saw a cop coming he'd pull up and we'd throw the camera in the cop would say you shooting a movie <laughs> no i was with these guys i was talking to them then we'd meet up somewhere else hit and run hit and run movie making <laughs> i feel was invented by, <laughs> a yeah. phrase that was invented by this like just that i that idea of just someone picking up a camera going out and doing it i mean it comes it says at the end of this film that it was improvised Improv yeah there's 
some debate about that again it was originally improvised but then i believe when they reshot some of it it was like technically scripted because they were basically just remaking the stuff that they'd already done so to all intents and purposes still improvised like those interactions between characters and stuff were just like what they wanted to say and there, there are moments in it where you can sort of um the 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 cameras or the sound equipment whatever weren't quite picking up the dialogue so there's a couple of like redubbed <laughs> bits because they're sort of filming in like uh, a bar or a like a party or a loud environment and there's a lot of background noise and and that sort of thing and because they were just filming it just going out and doing it you've got the street noise you've got all these mm-hmm. other things as well so occasionally it was you couldn't hear the line that they wanted to be heard so there's a couple of like over overdubbed lines in yeah. this which you could you you can sort of tell but it's one of those things where it's just like i don't know i kind of think it just adds to the <laughs> adds to the charm of it because absolutely this is the the sort of the birth of like independent cinema really this is mm-hmm. just someone going out there and doing it and it's i felt incredibly inspired by it so i can only yeah. imagine how marty felt watching it and i just like i be honest didn't know this film existed until i saw it come up on our list and i don't mind admitting that uh there were probably some cinephiles who are angrily shaking their fist in my direction right now but there's what i like to say when someone is like you haven't seen this film oh my gosh i'm just like there's a lot of films yeah my dude i don't know what to like i can't have seen everything and (laughs) i think the other thing (laughs) i think the other thing too is that I think we rarely, except for the like truly diehard, which I don't, I'm not saying we're not, obviously, but I don't think of Cassavetti as a director first. I think of him as an actor, right? Like he's, sure. he's, yeah. he's in Rosemary's Baby. He's in Mikey and Nikki. Great movie. Uh, if you haven't seen that, um, <laughs> Elaine May. Great, 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 great movie. I might watch, uh, uh, try to find time to watch Mikey and Nikki soon because I, it's, <laughs> really good um i'll add it but, to the list <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah i mean he's you know he's done a lot in front of the camera as well but then you know mm-hmm. you hear about these movies that he's made like i've heard of woman under the influence i've heard of killing of a chinese bookie and i know they're like pretty instrumental um i've heard of mm-hmm. faces and i but i've never seen a cassavetti's directed film and now like i want to devour his filmography because same it just like it just clicked so hard with me where it was like oh sorry i just i got really distracted but this was nominated for the british academy film awards uh for best film shatters was you're welcome yeah yeah (laughs) way to be you guys like ahead of the time ahead of the curve on that one um yeah because it didn't get any anything at academy awards or anything no No, not at all they took a little while to wake up to uh yeah independent films but yeah and then as far as the improvisational aspect is concerned what i was reading is that like half to two-thirds of the movie were tossed out and then it was tossed out because one it got a poor reception at the 1958 screening but also Mm. the reason why cassavetes thought that the um screening didn't work because it was longer um and there were some scenes that were maybe a little bit out of place and then um he thought it was too talky which i thought was interesting um Hmm. and 
he basically the rehearsals were to train the actors to uh emote more convey a lot of their emotions through their body language and um i think that comes through in this edit right and then Mm. i you said something and i want to push back on it because i loved him (laughs) so much i think benny also learns a lesson uh he says he learned a lesson whether that's true or not i think is up to the viewer's interpretation Of, yeah. of how to of how the movie ends like the movie ends with kind mm-hmm. of like him walking off alone into the night and the movie starts with him walking off alone into the night but he mm-hmm. meets his friends eventually <laughs> the difference is that in the final shot he's leaving his friends behind so um he's leaving them That's at a the good bar point, actually. and so yeah. like which is one brilliant filmmaking like just structurally but apparently mm-hmm. that moment happened halfway through the film and in the original cut and benny goes back to his old ways and it lost the audience because they were rooting for him because he's so likable right like he is kind of a slacker Mm -hmm. he's kind of a loser but like he's fun he's funny like Mm -hmm. he does funny stuff like he's very charming and like you want to see him succeed and so to see him like Flip, like say he's gonna make a change and then not make the change it just bummed everyone out and with the way it ends like because it ends on him because it starts on him and the way it ends it's like to be determined but you kind of like there's mm. this like tugging of your heartstrings where you're like you really want him to go off and have the successful career as a trumpeter because mm. you liked you like got to know him and i think that has a lot to do that is true of all three characters. I think all three main characters are super likable in this movie. Like they they made me laugh a lot. Like they made me smile yeah. a lot. I just really, 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 really liked spending time with all three <laughs> of them. Like the movie, like yeah, like I said, the movie could have been three hours and just spent an hour on each character, and I would have loved it. Mm-hmm. I feel like like I I was so <laughs> invested in everyone's story, and yeah. They didn't, it, even though, like, their story was just, like, hanging out and talking to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it shows how, when you really care about the characters, like, how easy it is to invest in them. I'll, I'll bring up Before Sunrise again, because one, it's one of my favorite films. I've not but seen it. That is, oh, it's so good. The whole trilogy is amazing, but I've the not first seen one's any my favorite. Um... I would recommend, I mean, it'll be a journey, but I recommend watching, like, all three in a day. Just Oh, like, interesting. It's, or maybe, like, across a long weekend. So okay. do, like, one on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and just <clears> kind <throat> of, like, journey with those characters. Because it's so, it's, ugh. Anyway, but <laughs> we're talking about Before Sunrise. That film is just, the majority of it is just these two characters we see them meet the sort of like the the like awkward but slightly cute like stages yeah. at the beginning and then that it is just them hanging out walking talking like the whole film but like it's whenever that film ends i have the exact same reaction every single time which is just like oh like i just exhale <laughs> i'm just kind of like oh i just loved hanging out with those yeah. characters so much i don't want it to i think that's why i'm recommending you just watch all of them quickly because it's like you don't want your time with those mm-hmm. characters to end you immediately want to like spend another hour and a half hanging out with them and i i very much felt that way about this film and it's like 
it can be a criticism of films sometimes i think where it's just like oh the the, the plot went nowhere or mm-hmm. it just didn't really have a purpose or what was the kind of what was the meaning behind it and all the rest of it and it's just like this film's just these people hanging out and you really enjoy <clears throat> spending time with them and yeah. I wrote a, a quote down from the film actually, just because I was like, I feel like this sums it up really well. Are we gonna have the it's same when thing? they're just like, possibly, <laughs> it's I think when they're so. just like at the at the museum. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I think it's yeah. the same quote. All right, go ahead. <laughs> hey, you and me, same. Yeah. Um, it's like it's not a question of understanding. If you feel it, you feel it. And it struck me the first time I was watching the film, and then when I watched it again uh, today, yep. I was like writing it down. I need to write it down because it was that was just playing in my mind <clears throat> since I watched it the first time, and I was like, "That's exactly what this it's the film mission statement is of the film. like." There, there isn't tons to kind of. There is stuff to unpack in this film, like for sure, mm-hmm. but it's just like it's a feeling. It's something that yeah. you can't really describe like if you had to try and sell this film to someone i mean we're kind of technically doing that right now but you're right. just saying to someone yeah it's just, just about people hanging out just kind of like going about their business yeah and yeah <clears throat> i mean people be like okay <laughs> yeah it's, it's weird too because two things one sarah yes uh i have notes um i took notes oh this is okay if anyone if you are brand new to us and you don't <laughs> listen to our other podcast this is the first time mg has written a note down i believe ever <laughs> i think you're correct um, in the podcast context <laughs> yep uh it is mostly quotes i wanted to remember from the film um yeah because <laughs> there's there's a lot of shit in this movie that made me laugh really hard um but we'll get to that the other thing I wanted to say is that that line in particular is the thesis statement of the film. And the older I get, the more I like these type of slice of life movies. I didn't like them when I was younger because yeah. I wasn't yeah. an adult. And now that I'm an adult who like understands how the world works a lot better than I once did, it's nice to just like have something that feels like it takes place in the world you inhabit. Like it is the, mm-hmm. I mean this, I think this film is the prime example of the Ebert quote, which is like the movies are vehicles for empathy, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I wasn't alive in 1959. I've never been to New York city. I don't know what the (laughs) fucking beat like scene looked like at all, but it doesn't Mm. matter. Like I vibed with these characters and like, I feel like I understood their experiences. I think it also shows like a maturity on Cassavetti's part that he just kind of got out of the way a little bit. Like, it really feels like he just set up a camera and let these people do what they were going to do, right? Like, it doesn't... Yeah. He does not have a, t- a huge, like, fingerprint on this film, and I think it works to its advantage. Um, mm. Because I think that... So I don't love all slice-of-life movies because they're hard, right? I feel like they're really hard to make because if you if you do it wrong, it is a movie where nothing happens and you don't care. <laughs> yeah. And, like, <laughs> that's not a good movie. And, like... Link letter, like, I think I feel that way about Boyhood. Like I think mm. I think Boyhood's not that good of a movie. I just think it took a long time to make. Yes, I agree. It's um, not, it's, it's a slice of life movie the same way Link Letters made Slacker and Days and Confused and Everybody Wants Some and the Before yeah. trilogy and like I've seen Slacker, Days and Confused and Everybody Wants Some. I like all of those way more than I like Boyhood. And the weird thing about that is I have nothing in common with the dudes and everybody wants some at all. Mm-hmm. I have way more in common with the kid from boyhood and I don't like that movie. 
And like, I kind of yeah. don't like the types of people that are shown off in Everybody Wants Them. And that movie is so fun. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so like, I think that the gimmick of Boyhood got in the way of the film he was making. And it's also way too long. Um, way too long. <laughs> way too long. Like, I, there was For a certain point is, where I was like, I like, get it. Yeah. Like, okay, he grew up congratulations Mm -hmm. like you know and then but and so for a long time boyhood was my example of a slice of life movie where i was like i don't think i like these and then it was everybody wants some that turned me around where i was like oh i really like spending time with those guys and then what solidified it is what i consider a slice of life film in 2019 once upon a time in hollywood nothing happens in that movie until the end nothing happens in that movie it's just people hanging out like it is it is (laughs) one day in these three characters lives and that's it um Mm -hmm. and i loved that movie so much like there's such a i think with a slice of life film that's done correctly which shadows is it just feels warm i don't know like i don't have a better way to describe it it just feels like comforting right like i just like I was sitting there watching it and I had like not a great mental health day that day. And I really didn't mm. want to watch it. And I also like, because this is such a, a task, um, this pod, it like, I really wanted to give it the like respect it deserved. And so I was like, I don't sure. know if I'm a headspace yeah. to like watch a movie in this way. And then, um, the words of the man we're doing the podcast about echoed in my brain uh from the book that we are both listening to which is called uh i think it's just called scorsese a journey is the name of the book mary pat kelly yeah and he uh that book is great um and Mm -hmm. it is written by what was her name uh mary pat kelly mary pat kelly who is a former nun who befriended scorsese because of course she did um (laughs) and uh he started writing to her while she was while she was a nun he was writing to her about films and one of the things he said was to just the first time you watch a film just enjoy it like just sit Mm -hmm. there with it and so i was like you know what i'm gonna do that and i like it was such a mood lifter to me like i came out of that feeling like lighter um because i hung out with these people and i liked all of them and like they end in uncertain places with uncertain futures. But you know what? That's what life is. Like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you spend time with people and then they leave your life for a long time or forever. Mm-hmm. And they go off into uncertain futures and you may not know what happens to them. But, like, you hope they're doing okay, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah. great. Like, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, like, most most people's lives aren't like the movies, right? right, right. So then you watch a film like this and it's just kind of like, People hanging out, people hanging out with their friends, like having some unsuccessful dates, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, struggling to make the bus on time. Like he yeah. was always late to everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, it's life it just normally, unless you have like a super exciting vocation or, mm-hmm. you know, you like going skydiving every weekend or whatever. It's just pretty... It's just pretty normal, isn't it? So actually seeing seeing that on screen and seeing it done this well, I think was what I really liked about this film. And just what you were saying then about what the the way that I am trying to watch these films, I am also taking a leaf out of (laughs) Scorsese's book and just watching the film. And that's really hard to do. I think like 
there's a lot going on like we're busy people there's distractions constantly like particularly if you're watching a film at home and not in a theater but just as much as possible like just trying to sit there and sit with the film and i'm Mm -hmm. really bad for this because normally i sit and watch a film and if it's one that we're covering for the podcast i am a note taker quite a prolific note taker in films but i will i'll pause it but i will then jot stuff down and i'm kind of like trying to analyze it like as i am watching it i didn't do that with this and i really enjoyed yeah. <laughs> just watching the film and i i retained more than i thought because i think my worry is normally like if i'm not writing stuff down i'm gonna forget it mm-hmm. but i had bits of this film just in my brain to the point where yeah. i was able to write i mean i've got like a, a page and a half of notes i wrote all of that just after watching it one time mm-hmm. i i i let myself sit with the film for a bit and then i kind of like came back to it and was thinking about it doing some research and then kind of writing my notes and when i watched it for the second time today which was supposed to be my note taking watch i did not take a single note because i'd already got it yeah <laughs> and also i was like the rest of the stuff will just will just kind of come to me i think it's helpful to write things down but like i don't know if i necessarily consider myself as like a film critic but it's that if you're analyzing a film or critiquing it as you're watching it like are you actually watching it and i mm-hmm. think that's what it what comes across in 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 the book that you mentioned is like school says you just kind of say and just watch it watch it for the first time watch it a couple of times like if you need to it could be like third fourth fifth time you've watched mm-hmm. it that something then suddenly clicks with you but actually just being able to sit and take something in and not be kind of picking it apart in your in your brain as you go and this is absolutely the the sort of film that that is helpful for it's what i'm gonna try and do for the rest of yeah this podcast as well and yeah yeah i mean i think you hit the nail on the head like i think this movie is so much more rewarding if you just let it happen rather than sit there and try to analyze it right like you can, but, like, I, that's not the point of the film. The film is not there yeah. to be analyzed, right? Like, I think there are some films that exist to be analyzed. I think Terrence Malick makes films that are there to be analyzed. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, like, yeah, this film is just, like, it is such vibes only, the the film. And mm-hmm. it's it's so, like, the other thing that works about the film is that tonally, it's all over the place, but not in a, like, haphazard or messy way, mm. right? Like, it's lighthearted in spots. It's serious in spots, but it's never like it's heavy in spots, but it's never like, it's very light on its feet though. Right. Like mm. it, it Jazzy. handles. Yeah. It <laughs> handles all of it. Very, very, very like deftly. And mm. it it's, it's kind of amazing because like in the scene after Lelia has sex with Tom and she's kind of regretful, that could be like a, a tone shifter for the film right like the Mm. film could be a lot different after that and i think any other film is a lot different after that and they're like it's it, it and i think part of it too is that i don't think i'd like to get your read on this but like i don't think that the implication is that he forced himself on her i think it's just she did something consensually and it didn't go the way she thought it was going to for her first time. Cause she it's, it's her first time having sex. And then she, like, she yeah. fe- she's just in a weird mood about it because like 
it's a very intimate thing and it's like mm-hmm. a new experience as well and so I kind of appreciated that as well, where I think other movies would just like make like Tom's a bigot for sure, but like he's not like <laughs> before like and this is we know we like we the the them having sex happens before we find out this about Tom. Like we knew going in because the film's like, you know, sixty years old. But um, <laughs> you know, to an audience that this is a new film for, the movie doesn't like he's like he's definitely like trying to pick up women at the party, but he's not like creepy yeah. creepy. Like he's not like yeah, like, yes, he is trying to have sex with a woman, but he's not, like, being, like, a weirdo weirdo about it, right? Like, he's not, yeah. he's he's assertive, but he's not, like, cornering women necessarily, right? Like, he just happens to be sitting across from that exotic dancer and starts chatting her up. <laughs> and then, like, yeah, he does, like, go to Lelia, which that that interaction with the exotic dancer made me laugh so hard. It's um, real good. Like when he learns that she's pregnant and uh, then like sees her partner or whatever, like standing next to her and his face is just like, he's great. I'm going to go now. <laughs> he, when he, when she brings up her partner and he says, this made me laugh so hard. It's, I put it in my notes. Uh, uh, he looks at him and like, cause he's found out she's pregnant and then he finds out that she has a partner and he goes, Oh, that's great. Congratulations. And he looks at the, he, then he finds out about the partner and he looks at the partner and he's like, congratulations. And the partner goes, thank you. And just the way he says it is so funny. Like it made me laugh so hard. Uh, it was just yeah. so matter of fact, just the, the, such an emphasis on the word you. And I was like, I can't believe they got the words thank you to make me belly laugh. Like, mm-hmm. what a great movie. Like, and it's in that small, right? It's just a small, it's, the, he's not even on screen. We never see what this partner looks like yeah. or anything. He's just an entity as far as like the, <laughs> like the voice of God says it, you know? Yeah. And it like, it is... <laughs> It honestly reminded me of like 24 hours is like three weeks as far as like yeah. a line delivery goes. We're like, we don't see that woman at all. Um, but you're painting a picture in your mind. Yeah, exactly. It's just so, thank you. Uh, it's it's such a great moment. And so back to Tony and, and Lelia, it, it finds this moment that's very serious where she is, kind of having some regrets about doing this with Tony Mm -hmm. and he's, you know, he is, I think, I think he's well-intentioned. He comes off a little strong, but I think he, like his intent, it is clear that his intent was not to make her uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I think he is like, right. Until we find out he is racist, he is trying to do the right thing, but he goes about it in like a dumb, like way that you shouldn't. And mm. I like, I really liked that because it was much more complicated, right? Like the, it's like the, the, the thing that it said of like, he presents people whose actions are like, you don't really understand them. Um, mm-hmm. And like, they could be baffling and they could be like morally dubious a little bit. We're like, he's really pushy after, but I think it's because he feels like he need, he wants to atone. Right. Like, yeah. so it's, it's well-intentioned, but it's not the right decision. And like that that is a much more interesting decision than if he were to go completely good guy or completely bad guy on it, right? Like, he is trying to do the right thing, but in trying to do the right thing, he is not doing the right thing. Like, that is so much more complicated and, honestly, hard to capture in a film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I 
what's interesting as well is that you're sort of saying about it, it's clear that he isn't he doesn't sort of force himself on her or anything like ju- judging by the way Lelia is at the 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 party she's quite op- she's very flirtatious mm-hmm. she's quite open to she's so openly flirtatious that she like ditches the the date that she's with and yeah. kisses Tony like right in front of him mm-hmm. and then invites him to her date and immediately <laughs> runs away yeah. the next day which i find very very funny but i i loved that whole kind of sequence of them like meeting and then the 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 date and then going to their sort of like them having sex for the first time um even though obviously you don't actually see it happening but like you feel all the emotion of it and what i got from it was just like for i mean she's she's young right she's Mm. part of this kind of like beat generation where they are sort of experimenting they're all either like writers or painters or musicians Mm -hmm. or sometimes all of them um and sort of like what comes with that is the experimentation with spirituality, drugs, sex, you right, know, yeah. all, all all of that kind of stuff comes into it. So she is the 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 promise of what sex will be is almost like more exciting to her than what it mm, actually ends mm-hmm. up being. And I I really like that because I think there's there's films that sort of deal with this like well, I mean, we're going to see it and who's that knocking at my door, right? Yeah. Where sort of like, you know, the, someone losing their virginity and, and, and what that kind of means. But I think sometimes like a lot of films like really romanticize it. Like it's absolutely perfect the first time and you fall head over heels in love with the, the person. And then it's like, you know what? Nope. Messy. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes not nice. Yeah. Like, you know, and she, so I think the idea of, this is what I got from it anyway, that the idea of it was something that was much more appealing to her to the point where she was kind of being very openly flirtatious and promiscuous, if you will, like mm-hmm. at the party, kind of, you know, going from one guy to the next. And then she has this first experience. It's not what she thought it was going to be. It doesn't kind of live up to those expectations. And just presenting the kind of like, crushing reality of that but it not feeling like a weird shift in tone i thought was something that this this film did really really well and given like how much this film sort of when you're reading like synopsis of it or whatever makes you think that the race thing is going to be much more prominent front and center than it actually is i Mm. was i think i was expecting something much much heavier than this which i think is why i kind of like vibed with it so much because it was just not what i was anticipating i mean that's a very it's a very important moment in the film obviously because Mm -hmm. lelia and 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 ben sort of are much more light-skinned than their than their brother hugh is Mm -hmm. um so Tony genuinely just doesn't know. Like yeah. you can see, he he looks so confused when he meets Hugh yeah, for the first yeah. time and is like, "This is your brother." Like he just has no idea. And obviously, like he, <laughs> his kind of like faltering or just not really knowing what to say or doing that moment obviously is not right. You loved this person before. Like what would it matter? Right. You right. know what their what their heritage was. So. It's an important moment in the film, but it's not the only thing that happens in this film. And right. then we see the, we'll get into it, but like the next relationship that, that Lely goes on is like, she is completely different yeah. in that relationship than she was in this 
you know, she was kind of previously like open to open to any guy, but sort of very open to the idea of like being being with someone and sort of willing to just like go along from like one guy to the next mm. sort of thing and and go along with what he wanted, even if it was what she wanted too. And then we see her in the kind of the last relationship that that we see in the film really like in control of that situation yeah, to the yeah. point that's quite I mean, comical I, again but, uh, yeah. yeah almost almost too far of an overcorrection a little bit right yeah like, it, it's <laughs> really bit, funny but like to, so to, before we get into david too um because the david first boyfriend too. is named david um yeah <laughs> tony like I think what I appreciate about it is that it is like, I know I keep saying this. It's so human like this, this it's just so relatable. Like this is no one's fault. It's no one's fault that she didn't enjoy this experience. Yeah. And then we see her learn from it. Right. We learn that she has to, like, she doesn't like being as open and, you know, promiscuous and flirtatious as she once she once was like the movie doesn't really make Mm -hmm. a statement about it either like it just is like oh she learned something about herself yeah right like Mm -hmm. it doesn't like it doesn't like shame her for doing that she just like realizes like oh i need to protect myself a little bit more than i was right and Mm -hmm. i think that's like uh that's uh it's very human to like enter into a relationship romantically or a friendship and then shit gets complicated and maybe more complicated than you originally Mm. thought it was going to. And then you learn from that and maybe you learn and grow with that person or maybe you don't. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, it is such an, like, I think that's the other thing is like the film is just so non-judgmental to any of its characters. Like it doesn't really make statements on Benny's slackerism. It doesn't really make statements on Hugh's failed career. It just mm. is what it is, right? Like these things just exist and they're there for you to take in. And then you have your thoughts on them, however they are. Right. And it like, it is such an open film in that way that it's yeah. like, it's so, it's so interesting to see a film from like a respected director that just does not really have any statement from the director in it. And it just, and that's what makes mm-hmm. it work yeah absolutely what and a fucking this... movie oh this movie's so good <laughs> <laughs> i knew as soon as i watched it because i think i watched it before you i was like yeah. oh this is gonna be a good one yeah. to talk about i felt quite intimidated by it to start with because yeah. i was just like i didn't know anything about it you mm-hmm. read the description and i again like i said earlier it's just like you're going into it thinking like oh my goodness this is this is going to be really heavy yeah i don't feel qualified to talk about it but it's just people being people and yeah. <laughs> like i <laughs> i i love that i i take back what i said earlier about benny he does he does have uh he does go on a journey and sort of at least feel like he's learned something by mm-hmm. the end of it and that the the loose ends that this film leads us with i i i really like and again i it, sometimes a film like not tying things up at the end feels very frustrating Mm -hmm. sometimes when a film haphazardly ties up the loose ends or ties up too many loose ends again not always good like sometimes we don't need a neat little bow on everything sometimes things can be left open-ended or to interpretation like does this person die does they not just does the bus fall off the cliff in the italian job like you know it's down to you to 
you know, figure out. Um, and I I like that in this. There was enough open-endedness where it's just like, yeah, Benny could have walked away from his friends, gone out into the night, picked up his trumpet again and gone, you know what, I'm going to turn my life around. Yeah. At the same time, he could have also like 180'd, gone back to the bar and like gone back to his old ways. Mm -hmm. And it's fine that we don't find that out because, I don't know, that's jazz. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> loose yeah, end, it doesn't... Loose ends. It doesn't it, it, yeah, and like... It just works so much better than, like, I think the original cut of this movie was maybe probably pretty bad. Like, knowing that, like, yeah. that lesson happens halfway through and then Benny, like, it's so much, it's so much more interesting to just have him walk out into the night in this reversal where he was, like, in the beginning, he's walking to his friends. At the end, he's walking away from his friends. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah. is he going to circle back around? Are they going to find each other again eventually? Or is he, mm. is he over it? And then I also liked the portrayal of... Oh, before we get too far away from Tony and uh, Lelia, <laughs> there is a great moment of them in the cab outside of her place. And the mm. cab driver is just trying to do his job. And they're like having this super intense <laughs> argument about what just happened. And this guy, like, one, yeah. doesn't care. And two, doesn't know what just happened. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. at, one, at one point he just goes, ain't love grand. And that made me laugh <laughs> so hard that was my favorite line in the movie like i was just like that guy like I, I i have met that guy and then he starts like singing some love song as they're leaving the yeah, uh, yeah. the cab like that that made me laugh so hard and it was just such a great way to inject humor into this heavy situation that we have the context for right like it doesn't yeah. feel disrespectful to what just happened it like literally this guy is they're just a fair to him you know what i mean like he yeah, doesn't yeah. know anything about these people so he's just like what the fuck is going on i'm like pay me so i can keep going to work like this is how i make yeah. my money like figure this out somewhere else um <laughs> and so like he is trying to like he, and he's like, he is sort of pushy because he does want to keep working, but he also is trying to like defuse the situation enough for them to leave mm. his cab. And yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> I, and I was like, I wonder if that w is like a part, either the seed or a part of the seed of the idea for Taxi Driver as well. Where it's I like, I thought about that. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, a lot of that. Well, okay. It's been, oh God. It's been almost 20 years since I've seen Taxi Driver, and I've only seen it once. Um, yeah, I was 18 when I saw it. I'm 35 now, so it's been 17 years since I've seen Taxi Driver. Good Lord. Kind of waits for you to revisit that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, at the beginning of the film, like, before he really starts his Descendant of Madness, he's just a guy, like, trying to do his job and trying to, like, just make it, you know? And, like, yeah. I think that was the idea of, like, what if there was a movie about that taxi driver? Like, yeah, that's the name of the movie. But like, what if there was a movie about the taxi driver in shadows, right? Like sure. what is his yeah, life yeah. look like? What does the life of a New York cabbie look mm. like? And it's very New York and Scorsese's, you know, makes very New York movies where it's just like, yeah. you don't really think about what your taxi driver's life is like outside of their cab, you know? And so mm -hmm. it like this, made me think about the cab driver in a way that I've never really thought about cab drivers. Like shadows did that where it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. this guy's just trying to get a job done. Like he doesn't give a <laughs> shit. Like he's, he's not a therapist. He's not in this couple. Mm. Like he just wants them mm. out. And so like, he's going to say whatever it takes, like whether it's being pushy or being lighthearted to do that. And it's so like, it's so great that 
even the cab driver is that complex in this movie and he's got like two lines yeah <laughs> yeah i i'm glad you brought up taxi driver because i mean i i thought that in that moment obviously because there is a taxi driver but also like i got real taxi driver vibes from like the very very end of the film just yeah. that kind of like walking through the streets of, mm-hmm. uh, of new york kind of like not knowing where he's going next sort of thing the score is like pretty jazzy sounding as well and like mm. similar to bernard herman's score for taxi driver so i was like oh yeah i can <laughs> pieces are falling into place i think we will see that more and more as as we go through this where it's like okay i can connect the dots i can see where scorsese got his his inspiration from and there are a couple of like in so in some of the i apologize i cannot remember because i'm currently reading three different scorsese books so i can't tell you which which one these quotes come from but there there was one that i was reading where um of Scorsese talking about shadows and what it was that he loved so much is that it shows how you could film on the streets of New York and bring to life real life characters exactly what we're saying with this with this taxi driver character right and also um shadows showing that you can make a narrative film about your your own life uh things that you experience your own neighborhood like really kind of small Mm -hmm. films if you if you think about it and those kind of things weren't being made in hollywood and it's just like i've not watched scorsese's shorts yet i'm gonna i'm at least the kind of early ones i'm gonna do that before we watch who's that knocking at my door but from what i have read about them (laughs) i it was this film right this film did it yeah well one made him go you know what make a film about little italy and he did it yeah (laughs) well (laughs) it's it's so interesting like i i think we're gonna revisit shadows almost every episode because (laughs) keep a tally guys yeah (laughs) yeah keep score at home somebody because i feel like like i see who's that knocking at my door i see a shitload of mean streets and i've only the last time i saw mean streets i was 18 that's when i was like going through the all the scorsese films at, (laughs) at the video store that i was working at um but there was such so much of this movie that made me recall moments of mean streets that I haven't seen in 17 years. And I was like, oh my God, he does that in Mean Streets. Oh my God, he does that in Mean Streets. But then the more (laughs) I think about it, um, especially the way he films New York, like he films New York almost exactly the same way that Shadows films New York in Mean Streets. But then like a New Yorker, right? Yeah. Like like Mm -hmm. someone who knows the area. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then like I was thinking about it as I was watching Shadows and I was like, he's just been making this movie his whole career, honestly, because like, Goodfellas doesn't really have a story, like a traditional story, right? Like, Mm. Goodfellas is just gangsters hanging out, mostly, (laughs) right? Like, there's stuff that happens to them, but it's Mm. kind of just like a bunch of vignettes of them interacting with each other. And from Mm -hmm. what I remember of Casino, it's also been 17 years since I've seen Casino, it's kind of the same. Like, there's not like a real, like, traditional plot to Casino. It's just Mm. kind of gangsters hanging out in vegas now right Mm. and like the irishman is sort of a flashback film but it is kind of just like these guys hanging out it's just about you know pacino and de niro's characters just hanging out with each other and the friendship that they forged Mm -hmm. and eventually like how one betrays the other but like it's like and there's stuff that happens around them and there's stuff that happens to them but that is not like a traditional three-act like 
you know yeah uh structure right of like i'm not going to explain the 3x structure if you're listening to this podcast you know what it is but um <laughs> you know there's no there's no rising action climax falling action to this it's just stuff right and yeah it just and it happens and like yeah there is stuff that happens that is climactic right like lelia learns that she has to okay maybe i need to you know back off a little from how i am with men Benny learns, like, hey, maybe hanging out with these two dipshits isn't, like, the best for me. And Hugh is, like, mm. Hugh has to question his relationship with Rupert to be, like, oh, do we want to continue working as a team? Because Rupert's pretty mad at me right now. But Rupert doesn't really want to give up on that. So, yeah, I don't know. Also, were they super queer-coded to you? Hugh and Rupert? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I can see where you got that from. It didn't necessarily spring to my mind as I was watching it. Yeah. But that kind of, yeah, their relationship, I guess, is nothing is, there is nothing of this in the film, mm -hmm. but I think you could read that Yeah. in it, potentially. Yeah. Also, I fucking loved Rupert so much. <laughs> I thought he was great. He was my favorite character yeah. in the whole movie. I he was just <laughs> so Lelia ends up dating this dude named David after Tony. And too. <laughs> yeah, David too, because her first boyfriend, the older guy, is also named David. So she starts dating this dude named David, and he comes over to pick her up, and she is so fucking mean to him. <laughs> she is really mean. so mean to him, <laughs> and. Like, but like really flirty mean, right? Like she's got like her, like she, she is trying to find the balance between that, right? Cause it's like, she doesn't really want mm. to give up her flirtatious pers personality. She likes that about herself, but she needs to kind of rework the framework around it a little bit. And yeah. so her relationship with David is her kind of trying stuff out, right? Like, mm. you know, I think that's what, th that way, like when you learn something about yourself, you're not going to get it right when you try to correct the next time. And so she like, <clears throat> you do it again and you do it with new parameters around it. And then maybe those don't work out. So then you revise again, right? It's sort of like weirdly, even though this is a very like emotional thing, it's sort of the scientific method, right? Okay, this didn't work. Let's try this with this parameter on it now. Okay, that didn't work. Let's adjust this parameter, right? So she's learning about herself. That's the, like, all the work that people do is that, right? Mm -hmm. And... So she shows up, he shows up and she's really mean to him, but she's like got her dress like off her shoulder a little bit and she like adjusts it. And it's like, you know, she's like, I'm not ready yet, but she's clearly ready. Like <laughs> She's very much ready. And then she's, she's... like, go, go have a drink with my brothers. And then he, David goes over to Benny and Benny like does not give a fuck about this dude. He does not care mm -hmm. at all. And like David introduces himself and he's like, hi, I'm David. And Benny is uh, just like, oh, okay, cool. Like he does not introduce himself back, <laughs> which made me laugh really hard. And uh, Benny's just like, go have a drink with my brother. <laughs> like he doesn't care about this guy at all. So then he goes over to Hugh and Rupert and like they're rehearsing for whatever act. And Rupert <laughs> goes, uh, he tries to say what's up. And Rupert's like, you're interrupting us basically. And Hugh goes, uh, do you want a drink? And David goes, I'd love one. <laughs> and Hugh goes, good, they're over Sorry there. <laughs> he goes, he says, good, good, go get one over there. 
And that made me laugh super hard. And then Lelia, Lelia comes back out and she's like, what are you doing? Like, I told you not to bother my brothers. And it was just like, what? You told me to go have a drink. What is happening? And then like he he realizes the song they're singing so he goes and interrupts them again to be like oh i do this as part of my nightclub act and rupert just rolls his eyes super hard like he's just like this fucking guy but then he tells hugh that he's singing wrong and he was like oh i'm in he was like whatever is about to happen i want to watch i just love how messy rupert is i think is what is what it is like rupert is such an agent of chaos like even at the beginning when he (laughs) They're trying to figure out because like Hugh is uncomfortable introducing the like burlesque act that's like the showgirls that are gonna come up. And so like Rupert is like then I think makes fun of Hugh essentially, but like he's mm-hmm. trying to help him figure out how to like tell a joke and then transition into the showgirls. And that is like that plays like an Abbott and Costello bit to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning. It's Rupert is so funny. He just does a lot of really funny shit in this movie. Because he's this like weird third party who's not in the family, but he's always around and he yeah. always has something to say. Um mm-hmm. and he just like <laughs> he just makes me laugh so hard when like as soon as as soon as David tells Hugh he's doing it wrong, Rupert 180's on David. He's just like, oh, mm-hmm. go for it, man. Like, please <laughs> tell him how to do it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was just me, but I did get the feeling. Because, like, the whole thing with, with Hugh is that he's not really, like, getting gigs or getting the work or whatever mm. because his his sound or his, like, style is quite, like, old-fashioned. Right. So he's not kind of, like, getting with the times. And I got that impression that Rupert is kind of like very gently, but sort of trying to like get him to be like, let's do something different. Maybe we do need to like change up the act. Maybe yeah. we do need to, cause he's like his manager as well as friend. Right. Yeah. So it's like getting him to try something different. So like that, that conversation with David too, when he sort of like starts showing him like how he sings it. And then suddenly Rupert is like very interested. It's almost like I told, like I told you so. I told you you need to do something different or like maybe you should actually listen to this guy. But I love that it like, even though I guess you you would consider the main character in this film to, to be Lelia, right. And her different relationships and, and kind of her journey that she goes through. But we learn something about all of these characters, no matter how big or small. Yeah. And these like small, like little interactions it tells you so much about these characters mm-hmm. without, uh, we don't know how long like Hugh and Rupert have been working together, but we make the sort of connections or, or that it has been like a long time based yeah. on the way they sort of like interact with each other and how they are with each other. We get a sense of the, the closeness of the relationship between the the siblings as as well but also that they are kind of like three people going off on their own mm-hmm. tracks like there is uh, there's a scene when Lelia is in, in bed she's smoking a cigarette and like both of the brothers are there and <sighs> that it's like so great. they they all like live together i yeah. think presumably or yeah. at least you know and they move in the same circles they're all kind of in this like beat generation kind of thing yeah. Hugh's he a little bit older, removed from but... it um yeah. it feels like lelia yeah. and, and benny because like there's a scene of like david one and lelia and benny and tom and dan or whatever hanging out like mm. and that's before they go to the museum and 
they're, but, and they're all just like, it, it's so friend group. Like it is so honestly, it kind of reminds me of the beginning of Reservoir Dogs when they're all just like around the diner and they're just like yeah. shooting the shit. Like they're just yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like, and they're like talking and then they're like kind of busting balls a little bit too. We're like, mm. um, is, is his name? Oh God. What's his name? They're, uh, let's see. Dennis. <clears throat> Dennis says, uh, <laughs> uh, he's thought they're talking about going to the museum and David like, is kind of like, you're in a museums or whatever. Like what the hell? Like, cause David's like mm. older. And so he's like, he's there for Lelia, but he's not really like getting what like Benny and his friends are about. Cause they're kind of just losers. Yeah. Yeah. And David's like very <laughs> erudite and, you know, button up type of dude. And he says, yeah, of course we go to museums. And he goes, I bet you can't even spell it. And he looks at Lelia and she just like, she goes, oh, stop. And then like sticks his tongue out at him. And I was like, that is such like friend group hanging out. Like, yeah. Giving each other just the <laughs> absolute dumbest insults possible. Like, mm. and then having it flip and reciprocate. Like, it's so, it's, it's so universal. Like even, you know, 60 years later, like stuff I've done with my friends and will continue to do with my friends, you know, like. Mm. yeah you do that because like you're you're friends with them you know and so it just I, I know I keep going back to this but like it just feels so universal and relatable and like it's just a great great hour and 22 minutes to spend and a breezy one at that like mm. mm-hmm. it's just so it's so easy to watch and it's so fun and light but also like handles serious topics but handles them very well like it is it, it, it's such a great movie, man. Like it's so, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. good. And like, it has me so excited to see some of the other stuff that's on this list. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And I, I, I know that we're probably, I would be surprised if we like absolutely everything. Like there are sure. definitely going to be some things that do not work for us. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. But it's nice to have something like out the gate. That's just kind of like, okay, yeah, <laughs> we like this. We can, we can work with yeah, this. We can do and something with this. And it, yeah. I don't know where you were with this, but it, I, I always get nervous when I watch films that Chris Hesse recommends because lately <laughs> I have had very opposite tastes to him in that, sure. uh, you know, he caused some waves on TikTok by saying Birdman was better than Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Um, I've not <laughs> seen Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, it's the last of the trilogy that I have not seen. Mm. But I know I fucking hate Birdman. So, um, like... So do a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really don't like that movie. Um, and then I know he's been, like, all in on Ari Aster's films recently. And, like, I like Hereditary. Right. I really don't like Midsummer. And I haven't seen Bo is Afraid. Um, mm. But I know he, like, he is such a champion for Midsummer that I was just, like, getting into, like, being reminded of that headed into this. I was like, I don't know. Like, my taste and his mm. have not really aligned a lot, <laughs> like, lately. So I don't, I don't know. But in the TikTok, he did choose 2001 as the best of those bunch. And I would probably agree. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, <laughs> how how much of that was he didn't know kind of like he's just bopping his head and being so so it's like go one way or the other and like the well i mean maybe he just really liked birdman i don't know he does i've heard Uh, him i remember when it came out he he had mentioned that he really liked it so i i i was like oh i forgot how into birdman he was but yeah he was he talked a lot about it when it came out like he really liked it i remember um 
So, yeah. And so yeah. because of that, I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, in Marty, we trust uh, most <laughs> of the time. Um, but <laughs> Alex, <laughs> that's our second shirt. Be... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Immediately. Why am I imagining him as kind of like a like a saint? Like he's kind of just I don't know if that is then like a little too uh, on the nose. Have you seen those? I like that image. Have you seen those Catholic <laughs> saint candles? You know what I'm talking about. That, but Marty yeah. is that what you're? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Why does this feel sacrilegious? I don't know. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about, though? Have you seen those Saint Candles? Yes, okay. I do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very popular with um, <laughs> Mexican Catholics. I didn't know how, how that permeated outside of that, because that is my... Right. That is the form yeah. of Catholicism I am... Uh, <laughs> there's got to already be one, right? <clears throat> yeah, surely. Someone will have done that. Saint Ray Liotta. New merch idea. Yep. Um... <laughs> Uh, did you, I I feel like there's so much that we haven't said in this film, but I feel like we've also covered the 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 bulk of it. I don't know if you had anything else. I have one more note, in, <clears throat> and that is in your notes. David too <laughs> waited a Christopher Nolan movie for her to get ready. He says it's been two, two and, and a half hours. hours. <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. I've yeah. I have never been down that bad in my life. Mm. Like I was just like, it's, what? That whole thing <clears throat> is, is is there's so much going on in that kind of like scene of her her getting ready and just kind of messing with him, but mm. also all the others messing with him. But it's Hugh, I think, that says something really interesting, and I, I can't remember the quote exactly because I didn't write it down. But like he sort of says like something along the lines of like i wouldn't let a, a, a woman talk to me like that yes. or something so it's like <clears throat> i get like saying something about the kind of like masculinity or what they sort of like perceive mm -hmm. as this kind of you know it's not the guy who gets bossed around by by the girl and like if it was them they would have sort of like scarpered and got out of there by right. now um but he he does kind of, he, their relationship is very very interesting because David too seems like a sweet guy like he seems well and he like breaks a nice through guy, right? yeah but, he breaks through that yeah. sort of facade that she's throwing up at the dance right like yeah yeah they, they, I love that scene oh, it's oh. so good the lighting in that so scene good. is so great <laughs> oh beautiful. Yeah. beautiful yeah so like they do have like yeah. a tender moment like it ends with her. I think kind of realizing like, oh, I've swung too far in the opposite direction with this guy. Like he is a good dude. And like, you know, yeah. he's like, I can't, I can't base my experiences going forward with another man solely on the experiences I've had with men in the past. Right. Like, yes, there is a portion of that that I'm going to bring with me because there's a yeah. portion of that that I learned from. Right. And so like, you mm -hmm. want to bring that, but you also like, I'm not saying to, like, go trust people blindly, obviously. But, like, you know, you want to, like... If someone comes into your life in that manner, like, like after a messy breakup or whatever, you want to be as fair to them as possible, right? And, like, that's... Yeah. But yeah. sometimes you're not. And so that's another lesson that Lelia <laughs> has to learn, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, I was treating this person like someone else, like someone who they're not. And they may end up being 
the same type of person, but I don't know that right now. So because I don't know that, I need to, like, it's a, it's an innocent until proven guilty sort of situation, right? Like, I need to accept them yeah. where they're at right now, and right now they're actually being very, very, very sweet and understanding to me. Um, and so, yeah. like, he and, he breaks through that at the dance, and, and she, once yeah. again, learns something about herself. Yeah, um, I, I guess, like, what you see across, like, the the... the different relationships she has and why i kind of like enjoyed her journey to the point where i sort of like was focusing on her more than the other characters when i was watching it the first time around but i think the film is kind of leading you that way yeah, anyway yeah it's like in the, the the first relationship with with david one when she then kind of meets tony like what she learns from learns from that i think is that she was perhaps like too open too kind of like mm-hmm. we'll go to whoever whatever mm-hmm. then with tony what she learns is that she was perhaps like too passive even though it was like consensual it was what she wanted perhaps she because they have sex right it it happens and then it's only afterwards that she's like i didn't like that right so maybe like you know better communication with your partner or something Mm -hmm. is like Mm -hmm. be graphic about it like if it hurts or if it's just not like feeling good or you're uncomfortable like saying that so in that relationship she's too passive and then like when she is kind of like really messing with with david too i think what she learns and you sort of see her soften while they're like having that dance towards the end is that she was like too dominant she went in too strong yeah. and it's just kind of like it's the it's the balance of that right i yeah. mean everyone is is <clears throat> she came in hot <laughs> different and like how they yeah she came, came in too hot like how they are in in relationships and stuff but she seems to to learn through all of her relationships in this film and the like with her brothers as well mm-hmm. like it's uh as someone with an older brother like you, it, it's different growing up with a brother than it is like growing up with sisters yeah. i mean i've only got my experience to speak of but like you do kind of feel like you have to be a bit like mouthier and kind yeah. of <laughs> stand up for yourself a bit more because you've just been around boys so yeah. that's what you're used to yeah, yeah, yeah um so definitely like get that feeling from her as well but yeah it, it, seeing I that that dance scene is I, I, like you said beautifully shot considering they were just like get a camera and go yeah. <laughs> but like you 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 see something shift in her I think you see her like putting the pieces together of like all of the other relationships like what she has learned like don't be too open but also don't be too like passive where you just kind of like go along with something you're not happy with but also like don't come in like so strong yeah. that you end up like potentially pushing this person away i yeah. mean david too bless his heart yeah he <laughs> he waits it out but what she learns from her brothers as well or what she hears from her brothers is that a lot of guys probably wouldn't like <laughs> right and like that's like the that. thing right is it's like Finding there's the middle yeah because i think there's a clear difference between like being a strong assertive woman and just like being an asshole to someone you know like <laughs> and she's just like she's just a she's just mean to him like in the in the apartment and that's yeah. i think that's why they say it more than anything is they're just like hey man like my, my sister's being kind of a dickhead to you like you, yeah, like, you don't yeah. have to take this from her this is your first date like if she's pissing you off you should just leave like you know, I and like yeah, and it's like I, I mean, I probably wouldn't deal with someone making me wait two and a half hours to go on the day. Like, I'd probably be like, <laughs> "Hey, are we doing this or not?" Because if not, like, I'm gonna go do something else. That like, mm. there's other things I can be doing with my time. 
you know? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. It, and so it's, I didn't even think that it was necessarily like a masculinity thing. I thought it was just like a common courtesy thing where it was like, hey, don't make people show up at a certain time and then make them wait two and a half hours before you leave for the day. Yeah, I just want to pick up on the masculine thing because I'm I'm sure like when they're dancing, like he tells her that she was being too masculine or that oh. like how like strong she mm-hmm. was coming on. So that's really interesting as well because I, I think what it's 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 not necessarily saying like women can't be assertive mm-hmm. or like be in charge or or whatever. Right. I don't think that is the message that we're learning from this, but like. Because she says, I think when they're dancing as well, that she can't, like, she can't change, like, the person, the person that she is, that is just the person that she is. But she realizes that the way she was going about it was too strong. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he says that to her, like, that she was kind of, like, acting masculine or Mm -hmm. something like that. And she's like, I'm not masculine. (laughs) Which is just, it was, again, like, a great interaction between them. But, yeah. Yeah. F- fucking good movie good movie <laughs> i don't think i had anything else in my notes i mean i could i could really talk about this film for ages but i guess closing thoughts i we don't sort of give films ratings but we sort of say like worth seeing not worth seeing absolutely, absolutely worth, seeing. worth seeing like if you like film full stop if you like films this is one that you should watch i we joked about this before starting the podcast and i think we we said it on episode zero as well that we feel like we're gonna have like a film education by the Mm -hmm. end of this i really felt that i was surprised to feel it like so So strong strong. out the gate as well where i was just going like oh okay i can see how like one marty would watch this and be like i want to make movies Mm -hmm. I can see how then that sort of leads to people like Richard Linkletter, like Kevin Smith, like other people who sort of make yeah. independent films as well, just being like, okay, yeah, I can, I can, I can make that. I can make films about just like Whatever. the people that I know yeah. and the experiences that are familiar to, to me. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's fine. And we, and our other podcasts, like we've sort of spoken about a lot of, quite low budget films we're covering shark films at the moment but the that sensibility of being like just go and make a movie like it's not always it's not always gonna work but you can yeah do it and it's films like this that kind of prove that i yeah yeah well and you know it I do not have the time for this right now. I have to go watch a movie for our other <laughs> podcast. I have to watch two movies for two different podcasts I'm recording tomorrow and edit this. <laughs> our <and>, life now. <laughs> and and I'm going to a concert tonight. All I want to do, because it's also on HBO Max, is go watch A Woman Under the Influence. Because it's another Cassavetes yeah. film. And the other thing I didn't know about it is that it stars Peter Falk. And I love Peter Falk. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you also more incentive to watch Mikey and Nikki, it's Peter Falk and Cassavetes directed by Elaine May. Oh, I'm sold. It's so good. It's so good. But Wait, what's it called? Let me write it down. Mikey and Nikki. Mikey and Nikki being written down being watched <laughs> yeah great movie but yeah i want to go watch woman under the influence because cassavetti's directed it it stars his wife gina rollins and peter falk 
and uh yeah peter falk is i love that dude so much and like i i don't have time for that i gotta go watch sharknado and no one will save you um (laughs) oh god (laughs) we really are the 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 podcasters who can bring you everything yep. across our various yep. shows. We yeah, the one-stop shop, or I guess the two-stop shop. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah, this was this was my first Cassavetes film. Same. Baby's, Baby's first Cassavetes, and kind of, kind of want to watch more yeah. now. So. Yeah, Killing of a Chinese Bookie is on sale right now for Black Friday deals, and I was like, oh. yeah. Yeah, and it comes with Let's go. <laughs> it comes with both cuts, and I was kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, let's party with Cassavetti's new podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> the thought crossed my mind, Sarah. He has a much smaller filmography. Um, oh, good lord. Uh, no, we are not starting any other podcasts apart from this one and the ones that we already have. Uh, that is that is it. Uh yeah. Do you, do you have anything else on, on Shadows like, no. <laughs> before we wrap this up? Or nope. is that a... Great that movie. Everything? Great movie. Please go watch it. Like, I, yeah. It's so easy to watch. It's so it's so good. It's just yeah. like... Do you want to say where you watched it? Because I feel yes. like as one in the US and one in the UK, we can we can cover some bases here and let people know where they can yes. actually find it. It is on, it. It is on so. HBO Max here. So that's where you can... That's where you can find it. Yeah, and here it is. So it used to be on BFI Player, and it still says it is according to Just Watch, but it is not because I have a subscription for that. Um, but I watched it on Amazon. I think that is the only place you can rent it from. Um, but well worth it. You'll have to pay money for it, but that's that's fine. Uh, and some of these other films on our list are going to be harder to find than this one <laughs> so yep. i'm just grateful that it was somewhere that i could uh pay a couple of quid and and, and rent it so yeah we'll definitely we'll try and across our other episodes as well like let people know where they can watch it if it is sort of easily accessible appreciate that not all of the films on this list will be so if you are watching along with us as well as listening to our episodes well done we we appreciate you i think i think if you haven't watched this film before listening to this episode hopefully we've made you want to watch it i feel like that was just my aim of this episode yeah. just being like watch shadows it's great <laughs> yeah it is great also uh i was looking at the wikipedia page for his film faces and sarah it uh-huh. says the film was shot in high contrast 16 millimeter black and white film stock whatever steven spielberg worked as an unpaid runner on this film oh boy <laughs> yep can we work that in? Do we have? Can we do a season of uh, films that Steven Spielberg was an yeah. unpaid runner on? <laughs> Just one episode. <laughs> yeah, okay. we'll find a way. We'll find a way. Uh, speaking of Spielberg, I guess uh, yeah. we have another podcast. If you are not familiar with it already, it's called Let's Jaws for a minute. We went minute by minute through Jaws, and we are now covering the world beyond Jaws. So we did a Spielberg season, uh, sort of first part of the Spielberg season. We're currently doing Shark season. Uh, so if you want to go and listen to that, that is where you can find us. MJ, did you want to plug Real P as well? Yes. Yeah, I have another podcast with um, three of my friends from my hometown um, called Real Perspective, uh, R-E-E-L Perspective. Um, 
it is a current release movies and TV show pop culture podcast. So it's very like traditional as far as the premise of it goes. Um, mm-hmm. I like to think we do more high level analysis than a lot of movie podcasts do, but th- that that's just me. Um, yep. This, the most recent episode was about the bear season one and two. And the upcoming episode is about no one will save you, which is, a real good alien movie that came out earlier this year that I wanted to talk about. We took a long break, um, which is why we're playing catch up now. Um, so that's why mm-hmm. uh, there's sort of a dearth of of uh, releases right now. So like there's not there's a big lull in the release calendar. So we're just playing catch up with the stuff we wanted mm-hmm. to talk about over the last 10 months and then didn't get to because we were on a break. So. Uh, yeah, I think that'll be the majority of the year for that show is just kind of catch up stuff. I think Mm -hmm. after no one will save you, we're going to talk about Oppenheimer and yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's all, it's also all the same podcast places where pods are casted. (laughs) Yes. Wherever you found, uh, this podcast, you can also find Let's Jules for a Minute Mm -hmm. and Real Perspective. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that. You can follow the pod at Let's Party Marty on Twitter. We are at Let's Party Marty Pod on Instagram. We are, oh my lord, I didn't write it down. Let's Party Marty on TikTok. I don't know. <laughs> Watch me trying to figure out how TikTok works uh, <laughs> with limited success. Um, you can also follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Sarah Buddery and MJ is at MJSmith891. Uh, you can email us if you're not on any social medias, uh, martypartypod at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, I think that is about everything for now. Next week's episode <clears throat> is going to be on Who's That Knocking at My Door? So we'll probably be talking about Shadow some more because that's what there's the companion film for. Yep. So yeah, TikTok is Let's Party Marty, by the one. way. Or let's yeah, Let's Party Marty. Okay, Marty. thank you. <laughs> thank you. I barely I have no idea what I'm doing over there. So yeah, enjoy. Uh until next time. It's Marty time, bitches. <laughs>